Check, check. I'm ready you to rock, are, baby. You are listening to two dudes. Two very white dudes. Whose who partners are out of town. <laughs> are live-in partners. I've, I've been on my own for about a week at this point. Your girlfriend just left today. Yeah, it's yes. been about three hours, and th- I, this the ha- the apartment is slowly just crumbling. <laughs> real? So, like, are you are you the messy one in the relationship? Yeah, and I'm not like super messy, but her lo- she's got a very high level of cleanliness, and I have learned over the months to to try to match it. How long have you guys been living here together? Uh, since January, so that's been like six months. Oh, that's not that long at all. Yeah, no, it's not. It's Holy been, shit. Yeah, and it was like, I learned very quickly, I'm like, I got to step up my dish game because it was not good. <laughs> it's No, I well, for us, it's completely inverted. I Like, we live in a very, like, fucked up, gender-bending, everybody loves Raymond reboot where, like, <laughs> I'm the nagging husband yeah. and I get a little too ticked about dishes in the sink clothes left on the floor even like when stuff isn't organized properly on a coffee room uh, on like a coffee table that can kind of set me off and like after enough enough time of living together i was like you know like maybe my demands are somewhat unreasonable well my question is when when you are angered by it like if she doesn't do something the way you want how do you react when i just i like mutter to myself I'm just kind of like, <laughs> just bottle it up. There you yeah, go. bottle it up. Don't <laughs> express it. Then take it out or on her in the future for you know some completely unrelated thing. But that's why. Like, did you see Bill Burr's new special, Red Rocks? I haven't seen it yet. There's this whole stretch in there where he talks about like every relationship has someone who does the dishes and someone who lets them soak. And he's in a similar situation where his wife does it. And I've I have never felt so seen by a particular piece <laughs> of stand up. <laughs> Like there's just certain of times. all the comedians the white man would relate to how how who would have bet it would have been Bill Burr <laughs> I know but you would you would expect him to be kind of like that stereotypical like ah eh, my wife always nags me because of this and she makes me take out the trash and it's like no he's the one nagging her to take out the yeah trash. yeah I actually I started doing a bit about my girlfriend making me do the dishes and being like it's like what's the deal and I'm like this is too like even though it's real I'm mm-hmm. like this is too cliche I can't talk well, about this it's just so funny because that's like the origin for every hack bit. Yeah. It's just like a real, powerful, lived experience. Yeah, and this is my first girlfriend to live with. So, like, I mean, I've obviously known the stereotypes, but then you're, like, living it, and you're like, oh, this is real. Like, yeah. I got to, so, I don't know. I've been getting a lot better, though. I feel like I've improved. Do you feel like a hack in your own relationship because you're, you're you know, not carrying I, your weight? Yeah, I feel like the one who constantly has room to grow. <laughs> I think someone else has a bit where it's like, uh, maybe it's Aaron Berg, actually, but it's like, yeah, my wife is a pristine piece of work in a museum and nothing needs to change. And and I I kind of sometimes feel like not that she doesn't see herself that way, but I feel like sometimes I'm always having to work on stuff. I think that's actually also a, it's not an Aaron Berg bit. It's also a Burr bit where oh, he, is he's it? like, he goes, yeah, she's like, we're always working on me. Like she's the completed work under museum glass and I've got like scaffolding and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe it, maybe it is Burr. I don't know why I gave, I just want to give Aaron Berg credit. It's for fun everything. to think of it in his voice where it's like, ah, she's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Just like, Oh, that was really angry. Yeah. <laughs> ah, a piece of museum glass. Um, <laughs> well, this is great, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me over. This is Jeremy Pinsley, uh, stand up comedian, and uh, new live-in boyfriend. New live-in boyfriend. Yeah, that's. I got to put that on my resume. It's. Uh, I wanted to have you on this podcast because I've I've like talked to other people who like are much farther along. Like, and this isn't like a slight to you, but I think I need to talk to someone who's like going through the same shit that I'm. Well, you're saying through. I'm not at the top right now. What yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot you're headlining Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's next bed. weekend. Check it out. Uh. <laughs> but I I remember. Um, 
like it, speaking of Bill Burr, like back at the beginning of April, mm-hmm. we were like huddled in a corner at New York Comedy Club, yeah, griping about everything. Yeah, just it's fun. It's fun to go out and just find a gripe partner. Big time. Because a lot of times you're holding it all in on yourself. And you're like, oh, wait, other people are kind of going through a similar struggle. And that can be a nice comforting. It's weird. But, yeah, you feel misery and company or whatever. Mis- yeah, misery loves company. Yeah. But, but then as we were, like, complaining, like, this is bullshit. Comedy sucks. We can't fucking deal with any of this. And, like, Bill Burr. Lit- no, actually, we didn't even see him walk in. Someone, Bonnie, comes up to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, hey, guys, Bill Burr just walked in. He's about to do a set. And we're like, all right, comedy's the best. We can't <laughs> complain about anything. I'm like, no, I still got more complaining to do. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, we, like, watched him for 15 minutes. Then we came back out. And it's like, where were we? Yeah, and he killed. I mean, he killed. Brand new stuff. Well, I think he was doing it for a special, the Patrice O'Neill thing the next night. But it was just such good material. I know. It's like I was texting my parents because they love Bill Burr. Uh-huh. And I was texting them afterwards. Like, he said this. And he made fun of Biden. And they were like, hell, yeah, great job. Yeah. But it is funny how, like, one little moment like that, there's a lot of stress, but then it's like, oh, I just got to, like, see Bill Burr, like, at a very low-key Monday night in a way. Like, most people wait their whole lives just to go see him at one show, and you're just, like, kind of in casual company with him at a club. It's yeah, you happen cool. to be, like, the right place at, at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you been doing recently? Like, I don't know if I caught you on, like, an off night, and we were no. both just had something to gripe about. No, or- I think there's always something to gripe about in comedy, and I don't I don't feel like I was that negative that night, um, but I feel, I've, I feel pretty good about things. I mean, I... For me, it's always about putting things in perspective. I think it's really easy to go online, to compare yourself to like, it, uh, there's you kind of will fall in a trap every once in a while of just like, I got to do more. And it's like, you sort of get driven by other people's expectations and what they're doing. And it like makes you feel like you need to do more. But I mean, as of recent, like we've been running a show out of this apartment and that's been awesome. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I control my own stuff, that's when I'm happy. So I've uh, been building my audience in this show. It's been going great. I'm going to record an album at the end of the year at the New York Comedy Club. I thought you were about to say in this apartment. Not in this apartment. Maybe. I don't know. Hey, if the show keeps going as well as it's going because we packed this place out and it really is fun. Like, I mean, maybe I do record it here. But I've the New York Comedy Club was like kind of the first club that really gave me anything and got me going. So I kind of – and it's just a great room and it feels like home to me. So feels like a good place to do it. And I'm going to be doing it pretty much on my birthday, which is December 4th. Oh, awesome. Seems like perfect timing. I've been doing comedy for over 10 years now. I've done hours over the South. I've toured it a little bit, but I've never like packaged it together in an album. And I'm at the point where I feel like I'm ready to do that. So between that and then I'm writing a tennis show, a TV pilot that I'm really excited about. So for me, it's like, yeah, there's a million things I want. There's a million places I want to be. I'd like to be working more, getting bigger opportunities. But when I have two or three projects that I'm excited about, I just push forward on those as best as I can. That's awesome. Yeah, I understand that that point of view where – because there are kind of two paths you can go down, and you can also occupy them both at the same time, where you fall into that trap you're talking about of comparison and like yeah. compare and despair. And that old adage of, like, I'll keep your eyes on your own paper like doesn't really exist anymore. Because yeah. you have to do your work on like apps that where like other people are shoving their paper into your face. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I, sometimes when I open Instagram, it's like, quick, get to what I have to do and like escape. Because literally, I'll find one tangent, and then I'm like, why wasn't I on that show? And then you, and then I feel like a failure. And then everything I was about to push forward on just goes out the window. Instagram is basically like, here's everybody doing better than you. The app. <laughs> yeah. Like that's at this point, that's that's all it is. Yeah. So you can fall into that, and it's it's easy. Like, um, did you ever see like the Never Ending Story? 
You yeah, but I was really young, and I, I, know, I don't remember, like, connecting. I remember there was a rock monster and that big flying dog, and I think he plays a basketball game at the beginning or a swim meet. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's all I remember. But, like, the swamp of sadness where, like, the horse gets sucked into the Oh, mud. yes. Do remember that? Yes, it's, I do it's remember It's incredibly that. traumatizing for a child yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you can kind of, like, play that comparison game, uh, get sucked into the swamp of sadness, drag yourself down, and, like, put your energy in that direction. Or you can kind of – what you're trying to do and what you have done is like, let me focus on two or three things that I'm working on for me on my own and my energy can go there. And like, even though I still have these other things that I want to do that I'm disappointed aren't happening, at least my attention isn't like on that. It's over here. On, yeah. On it's this focusing thing. on what I can control. Yeah. To me, if I, if I'm focusing on that, then I feel like I have power. If I'm focusing on like this booker won't book me, like what can I, what can I do about that? I, know, like, I mean, there's there's some things you can do, but every time I get caught up in chasing it, it feels like it always feels like chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel lost, and when I feel I'm just doing what I want to do or focusing on that, then I feel in control. So I try to stay on that. Yeah. So we're in this apartment right now where the show is. And th- th- just for people at home, anyone who's listening and some who might be watching on YouTube, <laughs> it's a very nice apartment, but it's not like palatial. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't walk in here and think like, oh, there should be a comedy show in here. But you guys, you were kind of showing me the um, logistics of how it works. How did that idea like first you have the idea and then you actually put it in action. How did that whole process kind of uh, go through? Very, very simple. My girlfriend, um, I'd like to say, so I'm 36 years old. I've been single. I've had short relationships, but I've been single most of my life. Um, and ever since I've gotten a girlfriend, I feel like there's even a John Mulaney a bit about it, about how like you have someone to just kind of like slap you around and show you like stand up for yourself, do this. So we were sitting at home and I was just, you know, venting to her about some of the stuff, you know, we'll vent about when we're frustrated. And she was like, and I've run shows for years. I used to run a show at Brother Jimmy's, which is now The Stand. I ran a show in the Upper East Side. I ran a show at the New York Comedy Club for uh, over two years. So I've run so many shows and I just stopped doing it because at a certain point, you don't want to be the producer. You want to be mm-hmm. just getting booked for being funny. But uh, my girlfriend was like, well, why don't we just run a show here? And I was, it just dawned on me. I was like, I can, we can like build our own audience and keep it tight, keep it simple. I don't have to like deal with anyone else's rules or like dealing with the, you know, some other venue owner who's obnoxious or not paying me. I control the door. I control the music that plays. She makes cupcakes for everyone. I control which comics are going. We can even control which people get to come to the show. You know, we are at this point, we're turning people away because, you know, we can fit about 30 people in here. That's like pretty jam packed 30 people. So once we hit 30, we're turning people away. So I love that I can control everything. And that for me, that elevates my comedy. It elevates the experience for everyone. And the feedback so far has been everyone has a great time. So I feel like there's a lot of shows at much bigger venues that would kill to have 30 people show up. And I yeah. feel like you get 30 people in here and it's it's got to feel like like 200 in any other. Oh, room. absolutely. I mean, you just sit there and you go, this is awesome. But the best part is because we have a little outdoor space. So there's like some flow and it doesn't ever feel overly crowded. And yeah, sometimes you just like pinch yourself. Like this is our apartment, but this is basically a comedy club. We call it Bubby's house of comedy because well, a we're both Jewish. So Bubby, but also like my, you can't see it in the shot, but I bought my girlfriend like a painting of a very old woman for Valentine's day. (laughs) (laughs) It's like 
fucking. Oh, I see you. Yeah, exactly. There, and I, there's a Dan Marino poster or a painting there, and an old woman painting there. And to me, those are the two. Uh, those are like our two spirits uh, together. I'm like Dan Marino. I'm like, I'm gonna get my Super Bowl eventually, and mm-hmm. she's just a angry old wench. And. That <laughs> Pretty much sums up who we are as people. <laughs> you spiritually named it after her because yeah, it was it was her idea for the show. I can't believe that she not only agreed to it, but as as the clean person in the relationship, came I, up with the idea in the I first honest, place. I couldn't believe it. She said it, and I was like, "You you're okay with that? Like, we're gonna turn this place in." And she helps me set up. She bakes cupcakes for it. She's like basically a professional baker. So it's like her hospitality and her touch, like. She designed basically this entire apartment. She has a great aesthetic appeal. She knows how to like, she lights candles all around the apartment. It just like, and she puts flowers in the fireplace. Everything about it looks so amazing. And people are like, man, this is great. I'm like, I had nothing to do. I just get the comics and run the show. I say that every, like some, whenever someone comes over to my apartment, like I've had a lot of comics over to record there. And they're like, oh my gosh, this place is is great. It's like, this is not me. If I try to take credit for an inch of this place. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't relate so that's that's really cool that like it wasn't even with her idea it, it it wasn't this mindset of like oh my gosh it's our apartment there's gonna be a bunch of people in here like you know it's gonna feel it's 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 like kind of crazy she was like no it's it's like a opportunity to express and like do what she does best as far as like decorating and aesthetics yeah like, it was exactly like a challenge so almost. i think part of it maybe she saw an opportunity as well and so the first show we ran a couple months ago was just I think we probably got like 20 people in here. We were being conservative because we didn't want it to feel like over, like uncomfortable for everyone. And it was just her friends and my friends. Like we kept it real small. And then the second show we expanded and we got like kind of more random people coming. And now I have people messaging me on Instagram, like strangers who were like, oh, something cool to do in the neighborhood. Like I'd love to check it out. And it's like, oh, it's cool to just like do something fun and expand it organically. And as we're doing this, like, and I'm recording my album at the end of the year, I'm saying, Oh, I'm building my audience. Like a lot of those people, like you can get them to come. They're going to come to the. They're going to come to the show because we got them. They already understand when I run a show that it's going to be fun because I put the audience first. I've run shows for years. Audience always comes first. I book very specific lineups. I, I, everyone. I feel like a lineup is. You can't just throw four or five funny people up. It's important to really think about like what voices are going up there. Each one should be a little different because if you do it well, people leave and go. That was one of the best shows I've ever been to. Uh, and then for me, you know, I, I like it gives me an opportunity each show to like build upon the material we've done. Like the last show was my girlfriend and I's one year anniversary. So I just wrote a bunch of material about that. And like so it's just giving me like, you know, sometimes you're running around the city, you're doing shows for drunk tourists and you're like trying to like craft material. But they're like, do the dick job. It's just like sometimes you're like, I can't get honest and real with you guys. But when you have your own audience, you can really like open up and get into the stuff you want to talk about. So it's really kind of opened me up in that way. And it's like personal and it's fun. Exactly. Which is where my comedy thrives. Like when I try to just like, had you see this thing that had like, it's, it's stupid. But like when I talk about like what I'm going through in a funny way or my family or my relationship or how, like just the things I'm going through, I can find a way to make it funny and relatable. And I like being able to open up that side of me. That's so interesting that like, cause when you, as a comic, you're always struggling. Uh, I mean this like in everyone. Like uh, as comedians, we're always trying to just get the audience on our side. Yeah. And like see things from our point of view. But like what better way to do that than to have them 
in your home. Yeah. You know, like this it's, is as intimate as it gets. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's a home field advantage for sure. But, you know, it's it's good to create a place where you do have a home field advantage because to me, like I grow my material here and then I take it out to the world and it's already got that like personal touch. I've already like when I'm writing the material, I'm seeing the audience and I'm like, I'm just able to more clearly write the joke. So then when I take it out to just a generic crowd, it hits so much harder because I've already tapped into the personal aspect of it and I already trust the material. Cause if it works in front of people that I view as my audience, then that's the material I want to go with. Cause sometimes when, you, when, when writing stuff, it's hard to know for sure if it's in your voice or if it's like, this might be too esoteric, but if it's in your voice or if you're just writing it in the voice that you think you have, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah, like you're yeah, performing yeah. yourself. Yes. I mean, years of just like writing stuff that I'm like trying to craft this perfect joke. I think like, you know, you see people like Mark Norman who just are perfect joke crafters. And I think a part of me was like, I like, I could be more like that. But the truth is I'm a storyteller. I have jokes within my stories. I find like, I find humor in just the way I say things when I'm telling being honest and when I do that I feel like I find people connect when I go up there and I try to like rehearse and memorize and regurgitate something there's a disconnect and a disconnect for me and a disconnect with the audience and it just doesn't work it's like it's like not alive it's not alive and it's a dead I rehearsed this I wrote it I memorized it here you go you like, can tell yeah I mean I'll have the same material and like the same flow I'll be like, I'm gonna talk about this and this and this but it's like same punchlines for the most part, but slightly different delivery each time. But like not in a way that changes it too much, but just keeps it alive and keeps me being able to explore in the moment and build off of that. I think that's so wild how an audience who has never seen you before, they can kind of tell when you're not being yourself. 100. Even if they don't know that they can tell, it's like you're putting something out there. So like, you know... I even think of the years when you're like, you're doing one show and you're like, I got another show. And you're just thinking about like, you're thinking about your JFL audition and you're doing a set to like get, like you're trying to get that tape Mm -hmm. and you're thinking about something completely unrelated to the moment. And I tried so hard to make those sets work and I watched them and I'm like, who is this? This is not me. Mm -hmm. And so the audience senses that the audience. And again, whether they know it or not, they sense that you're not fully present with them there, you're, you're just giving off things like you would on a first date. You know, you're giving off, ins- <laughs> it's, you're giving off insecurities, you're giving off desperation. But if you're like truly like in the moment, if you're really just like, and you're actually enjoying it, like mm-hmm. I've been having so much more fun with stand up recently because like, it's like, I don't care what you people think. I know that this is what I'm, ta- I know I trust this material and I know it works. So there's just like, let's just play and just, I have no, I don't have like an agenda anymore. I don't, Yes, I want to get JFL. Yes, but I, I've dropped my care about getting all those things because as long as I can have my show and have people have a good time and run my and build my material and record my own album, like it, those those are the only things that matter to me. Just building, being my most authentic self, and finding what I like really want to put out there. Yeah, and when you try when you try too hard, it's I, I always think of that uh, that scene in of Mice and Men where he just like he's like I was just petting the puppy. What happened? It's like no, you were petting it. You've been breaking some rabbit's necks. Yeah, your your intentions were good, but you just did it a little too hard, and bad things happened. Yes, and that's yes. I I, I feel that uh, exact same way, and that's like because like part of the reason I started this podcast was to talk to other comedians and get like career advice or like you know creative advice and and 
or strategies for developing a career. But like the thing that it keeps coming back to with most of the people I've talked to, especially the past few weeks, has been just have fun. Mm-hmm. Which is again easier shared on Instagram stories than done, but yeah, like yeah, it's just yeah. it if it's if it's like a recurring subject that there's got to be some absolute truth to it. I feel like one hundred percent. I mean, that's I remember I was even talking to Matt Wayne, who's a comic I really like, and he was just like, when you first start off, like you make the stakes so high, mm-hmm. you're like this show, like I'm gonna kill, and like you just you you create this false sense that this is like really like important. And like incredible and but it's it's not and if you drop that it's like it, I teach tennis and the same and I play tennis and it's the same thing like if you try too hard if you squeeze that racket too tight you're just gonna be a half a shell of yourself but if you're just like in the moment and playing then it all just kind of comes to you and you just kind of learn to trust your instincts yeah I Gary Goldman had a really funny tweet one time where he's given like his like one bit of writing advice per day for the year in 2019. Yeah, yeah. And one of them was like, you know, that uh, everyone talks about that Eminem song, like, oh, one shot, one opportunity. It's like, but he got a shot the next week. Like, yeah, th- there's yeah. always something else. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of shots. So, if, yeah, if you keep, if you put that, like, kind of kind of pressure on yourself and think it is only one shot, like, you're going to get a bunch of shots, but you're going to, like, blow most, if not all of them. Yeah, and it, I mean, the real way of looking at it is it's a bus stop. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a bus coming every 10 minutes and you might have missed one bus or you know and sometimes the bus is late or the bus breaks down but usually there is another bus <laughs> we should just get so metaphorical that's oh, like please. wait what are they talking yeah, about? yeah uh, and then sometimes you're sitting at the bus and stop it's like when the hell is this bus coming should i i don't even want to be at this bus stop anymore <laughs> yeah. i should call an uber and get the hell out of here <laughs> it's uh it's brutal you know it's so you talk about like going back to that kind of i don't you talk about when you start out where, where did you start, by the way? You're from the South? Yeah, well, I'm from Nashville, um, but I really started in New York. I, d- I guess you could technically say I started in Dallas. I did like a show for my – I used to work in marketing in Dallas, and I did like a show for the whole company. At oh, this no. really <laughs> weird place. Ooh. But oh. you don't know any better? No. It, you know why I did it? I did it because like I felt like I owed – like they were all like, you're just quitting this to do comedy? Have you ever done it? I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. Like, Oh, my gosh. I, Wait, so you were working full-time, and then you just quit and started doing yeah, comedy? Yeah, I just – well, I like – I didn't love Dallas. I didn't love – like I loved my job. Like, I mean, it was there was something fun about it, but like it was marketing. And like no matter how cool it was, I was never going to be like fully invested Oh, of course. Like, I was never going to be like, come on, I'm going to help State Farm really sell this idea. Like, I just, I knew deep down that, like, I was going to do comedy. And I did some improv there. I did, like, little things. But, and a a friend of mine told me I should do an open mic and I should try comedy. And when she planted that seed, and I realized that this job, which was on paper a dream job, because it was like sports marketing, had, like, a really cool agency, um, I was like, I have, like, the voice just got louder and louder. And I just said, I'm quitting. I like I basically just graduated with a finance degree. I got this job right out of college and I'm 25 years old and I realized I haven't like really thought about what I want to do with my life ever. No, you're never going to get any meaning out of that like marketing job. No. And like there's no there's no real motivation to do it other than to grab the brass rings that are at the job which like if you're not into it are ultimately meaningless anyway yeah exactly the only thing i got from that job is i ran on the baseball field at the rangers game because the ceo bet me to and it was like the most fun thing ever like people wait were, did like, you get arrested no because the the ceo knew the owner of the rangers they came back to win the game after i did it and it was like this office-wide celebration They're like you're a hero it was like this 15 did the security team come after you they did the guy well there's like a picture of me and uh-huh. the guy like it was his first day apparently 
He was like, I'm so sorry. That was my first day. And like, I literally dodged him and then I gave up because the CEO bet me. I just had to like slide into second base from our seats in center field. So I, once I got to second base. I mean, dude, that's pretty far. That's, that's it was, a far way to go. It was a far way to go. But it was like, there was just this deep inner thing. It was, it was kind of like, I've always done what I'm supposed to do. I've gone, I was finance. I've got this marketing job. Now I have an opportunity to do something like. Now I'm getting crazy. arrested. Yeah. I'm, uh, and maybe there's some like white guy privilege. Like, ah, I'll be fine. <laughs> ah, what are What's you the worst that could happen? What's the worst? Like, yeah. I'm, my dad will know somebody. Exactly. The judge will just wag his finger and be like, ah, you knock it off. And, and that's what happened. The CEO knew the owner of the Rangers and they bailed me out of baseball jail and he paid me a thousand bucks the next day. <laughs> Uh, man, uh, yeah, you, you you commit disorderly conduct and you make money off of it. That, yeah, is, that is the most white privilege. <laughs> All right, but, <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, but and the only reason I tell you that story is because like that was the moment where I was like, it was like finally a choice that like I made, like so, something I'm not supposed to do, but it worked out, and that was sort of like for me the sign of like I got to do something else, like I got to quit this job to do comedy. Like it sounds crazy, but. Maybe it'll work out. And did you move to New York afterwards? Yeah, I moved to New York. I work. I was working at Brother Jimmy's, which is a like a southern barbecue. I was a bouncer at a bar. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great. It was kind of a good gig, especially for like first moving here. I met a lot of people, and then I ran a show there, which in that place is now the Stand. So I ran a show that got pretty successful. Got me like knowing all the comedians that I now work with at the shows I run now. Um, and gave me experience early on. And literally that venue that I used to work at where I used to run a show is now the stand comedy club. So yeah, I, I, I got to go back through like my calendar. Did I ever do that show? I feel like I've done shows. You, is uh, that you, how we met? I, we, think? I think so. I mean, it was years ago. It yeah. was like, but uh, I mean, I've had, I'd ran so many shows there. I'm sure you were. Yeah. That's by the way, that's like kind of how things work for a lot of comedians in New York. It's like, you have a lot of comedians that, you know, you don't know where you met them, yeah, you but have, you know their names and you talk to them every time you see and them. And you also be like, man, I've got so many friends. And it's like, you have a lot of like semi-acquaintances. You no, know, big-time acquaintances. Like there, There's not many comedians I would like call up to like go get dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I have just, a handful. It's like mm-hmm. a select group. Yeah. And even that's always changing. But yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, and I love comedians, but sometimes comedians can be the most stressful because talk about insecurity and anxiety and like... I remember early on, it was like just this mindset of like, I'm doing three shows a night. And I'm like, like it was, I started feeling like if I wasn't doing two shows a night, seven nights a week, I was like a failure or like I wasn't doing what it took. I'd like to be doing two shows a week at this point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I, but I also learned like by, by not letting those people get in my mind or like letting that sort of toxic mentality, like I don't need seven shows a week or 14 shows a week to be good. I just need time to tap into what I want to say and to be my and learn how to be my authentic self on stage and if I can do that then I can do it any night of the week no matter how many shows I'm doing that man that's that's a good perspective yeah like hanging out with comedians can be tough because there is that insecurity and I mean we've fallen victim to it hanging out with each other but just yeah the griping and the bitching and like it kind of gets, gets yeah well your own and head. also and comedians are always on too which can be tough. exactly and I think I think social media has changed that a lot I feel like I'd like to think in the 80s and 90s it was more communal and it is community based but there's also this like competition and comparison and hierarchy everyone's created their own hierarchy and like I just refuse to believe that hierarchy exists there's also too many comedians there's way too many comedians and we're part of the problem yeah we are I mean but like that's I know comedians who have way more success than I do and they're still complaining about the number of spots they got and as soon as I like tap into that and notice that my brain then goes okay well then that's not the answer then like fighting fighting to get all the spots isn't going to happen so I'm just going to keep focusing on creating the stuff that's going to like make me stand out or, or at least like 
make me feel like I'm doing something productive. I keep telling myself because that is such a um, cliche where it's like you have this major goal and you get it and you're still not happy. Yeah. And I'm uh, I in my head I'm always like I oh, don't know, but if I get it, yeah, I, I, I I'm gonna have the perspective to appreciate it. And of course, like I mean, who knows if, if I achieve a large enough goal of like making a living off of comedy? Like I hope I have the perspective. But I remember there were all I there were years where all I wanted to do was move to New York and be do- doing comedy in New York. And, yeah. And that saying of like, oh, the thing. Remember that the thing you have now is something that you always wanted. Like I, I lose sight of that sometimes because I, I brought up kind of starting out and that whole thing because I've been rewatching um louie mm-hmm. this week while yeah. my wife's been out of town just like eating mac and cheese out of a pot and <laughs> yeah. watching louie living up. your best life no okay. dude it's actually i had the saddest night on monday night like i because <laughs> I, I i was gonna do late night but it got canceled and uh um, oh, and your hopes and dreams were ripped out yeah from and it's like well you. i'm not gonna be a professional comedian now yeah yeah it's over but it's like my wife had a bottle of rosé like like an extra bottle in, in the fridge and i was like well i guess i'll just drink that then i made like a bowl of um like chickpea mac and cheese uh-huh and then i Put on, At least you were healthy. I, I mean, that's yeah, I mean, rosé and then the the chicky yeah, you met, you know, little, little bit of both. But then, like, Louie, it's not on any streaming service. You have to watch it on his website. Yeah. And I can't get it to airplay correctly to my TV. So I'm just, like, sitting on my couch, eating mac and cheese, drinking rosé, and watching Louie on a laptop on, like, my coffee table. As a single tear, which or not, I guess more than one tear, just tears streaming. Yeah, just like what the hell am I doing? And my wife's in Cannes for work, so she's like on like a glamorous yacht, and like I'm such a piece of shit. Anyway, I don't, I didn't mean to go down that downward spiral. No, but that is that's a signal of like you're. I'm gonna do a show tonight. You don't have it, and then like it's it can happen quickly where you just feel like such a failure. But but here's the thing: like even if you get your Netflix special, you know, or whatever it is you want, you're Mm -hmm. gonna feel good for a little bit, and then. And then that same feelings. Then it's back up. to normal. Well, what's the, what's what's next? What's my new material? Like that special's done. No one cares anymore. Like yeah, it's gonna be the last thing I do. I, I mean, have you yeah, have you seen how quickly things are come and go now? Like, I know. Thing, I like, know. Th- the world is just so oversaturated with content and people doing things that like a, even a great achievement is forgotten, like six w- a week later. It's I know. ridiculous. I mean, that's like my way of saying like my week on my own away from my wife hasn't been as fun as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's been like kind of depressing, but I have been rewatching Louie and the thi- it's really watching that show. It's both depressing and inspirational at the same time because mm-hmm. it kind of takes me back to that mindset of when it first came out 2010. I was living in Fairfax, Virginia, yeah. working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Holy, you look where you've come. I, it, right. You're on my couch now. That's exactly. A, that's and, a big move. And then, you know, doing maybe three or four open mics a week, because that's all you could really do in D.C. at the time. Yeah. And just watching that show, and one, like, the sense of hope and optimism and, like, joy with stand-up, it was all just, it was all possibility. Mm-hmm. Not only um, in where your career could go, but in the things you could say or the things, like, what you could become mm-hmm. as a comedian. And so I'm watching it now, and it's, oh, man, remember that feeling of, you know, starting out and, like, the, the hope and optimism that was there, and that's all gone now. But then, like, there's this weird kind of, inspirational thing like what if i could tap back into that again and like you're watching his stand-up on the show and it's so good and it's like so loose and it's so free and it's so himself Mm -hmm. it's been nice to kind of circle back around to that even though parts of it have been kind of depressing in a way 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think of my earliest years in comedy here in the city, and I think of fun and excitement. But I, the word I was talking to someone about this the other night. Dark. It was dark. I was out at night. It was dark. I didn't know where I was going. Everything was like good shows, well, like bombs, physically dark, like physically dark. Okay. Like just I pictured dark. Not like I was depressed. Just. It just it wasn't it was fun and exciting, but it, like uh, there was so much uh, not even even where I wanted to go with my career. It was all like I quit my job. I'm here in the city. I'm doing these shows. It's fun. I'm making friends. But like, where is this going? What am I trying to do? And like, how am I going to continue to get there? Like, is this the path? And in recent years, like as I've sort of learned to work on myself and like get rid of the like beating myself up and the negative and the oh, I'm a failure and I wish I had that and the comparison and I haven't gotten rid of it but I've learned how to like combat it a little bit better and now like I'm in a relationship with someone I'm really happy with like I'm feel in control of my future to some degree um, and I and everything now feels a lot lighter I feel lighter as a person I feel like the view of the, my view of the world and comedy is lighter and like I don't sit there and go oh, I, I gotta get this and this I just go Every day I kind of slow things down and just go, what's the, what, what, I have something to say and what is that? And if I let everything quiet down, if I don't check social media, if I don't worry about what spots I do or don't have, if I just can be present for those moments and just like have fun and play, then everything kind of comes together. And I'm like, ah, this is going to be fun. And then everything feels positive. Look at you, a comedian with a healthy perspective. Hey, I mean, it, listen, it comes and goes, but I try, I yeah. do try my best to like, nurture that positive energy as much as possible and also again i i i'm sure like you said you don't feel that way all of the time yeah, but no even just talking about it and reiterating it i think has to help 100 percent bring like, it back around again. you, you have that's the only way to like reform new pattern pathways in your brain to get rid of negative patterns is like to keep reinforcing the things that are pushing you forward. Because inevitably, I'm going to check social media. I'm going to see something. I think I did it earlier today. And like, oh, I wish I had more shows this week. But then as soon as I like learn to put that away, focus, like I can write a new joke for the special I want to record. I can write a new, come up with a new script idea. I can work on the other script I have. Or I can just like have a night where I'm just going to like relax and watch TV and just like enjoy the fact that I don't have anything to do and like actually embrace that and then sometimes something creative comes from that so i just look at there's always a way to be useful with your time or to enjoy yourself without having the one thing you think you have to have to be pushing yourself forward and like not having guilt that you're not doing it yeah or because not. what does that guilt get you i know we like it, it drags you down further and yeah. I've, I've certainly been and you'll uh, stew and you stew and you stew and so as soon as i start stewing i shift i go play tennis i go work out i go write something i go hang out like try to meet up with a friend and now, like, if I don't have a lot of shows, like, I'm going to the stand tonight, I'm just going to go meet up with some friends and hang out with people I want to hang out with, not because I'm, like, desperate to get a spot, but because, oh, it'll be a good way to connect with people I actually care about and then growing relationships. Yeah. That's – this is this is good to hear. Just I need to hear this personally because I, I was <laughs> – Pete's therapy. No, well, we're, we're on us. the couch. Like, yeah, like, I'm about to just go completely horizontal here. Because I have been stewing, and uh, and part of that is just being alone this this whole week. But uh, yeah, I have mm -hmm. I have been stewing, and I keep coming back to like everyone's telling me like have fun, have fun, just have fun with it. And in, in my mind, I'm like, where the fuck is the fun supposed to be? Yeah, like I don't have. I'm not. Am I supposed to have fun like t taking a 50 minute train out to Queens to go do an open mic and a 50 minute train back? Am I supposed to have fun going to a show where like I don't really know anybody or I know one person? And just kind of like hanging out. And the only reason I'm really there is to like maybe I'll get booked there 
eventually or like down the line yeah. like like where is it, is it supposed to be fun like and writing the, a joke i'm not going to get to tell for maybe a week or two like that like i i don't that's what's been eating it and the answer is i think writing the joke can be fun but the answer yeah. is doing the mic you don't want to do isn't fun and i remember i used to force myself all the time i forced myself to so many mics or force myself to like see what shows were out there and force myself to go it was all forcing myself and uh my therapist this is a great line from my therapist that i've stuck with me i'm gonna write this down you should write everyone you can write this down it's a good one um she was like it's good to have drive but you don't want to be driven so like i have drive i'm gonna write every day i'm gonna try to get up but if i'm going to do some mic that i don't want to do because i think it's what i have to do that's the expectation of like whether it's some extreme expectation you're setting or other people that's them pushing you to go do something you don't want to do. And no, that's not fun because you're actually letting someone else drive you to do something you don't want to do. Even if you don't even realize it's them or your perfectionist mindset. Like, so if I like, like there was a mic opportunity that I could have done after the thing I'm going to tonight. And I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do it. So I'm just not, and I'm not going to care about not doing it or doing it. Damn. That's awesome. That's so you want, it's good to have drive and it's good to have motivation but you want to stay in control of it. You don't want to let yeah. it control you. You're driven. I mean, yeah. you have or not, you're not driven. You have drive. No, I, I am. That. I after hearing that, I am 100 percent driven yeah. in, in a bad way. Yeah. So, but now you recognize that. Yeah. And now, like you, the drive part of you is like, I want to do a show, and I want to connect with people, and I want to just at least get these feelings out and get to the bottom of this. And you're doing that. That's drive. That's a positive project. You enjoy this part of it, right? Yeah. But you don't enjoy as soon as we get done with this. I don't have anything booked tonight. Uh, like that's that's where the driven comes in. That's yeah. where the, like it's anxiety induced decision making of I'm going to go here. You're not going to present your best self. You're not going to ever tap into like that's a missed opportunity of staying home and maybe like letting things quiet down and coming up with a, a concept or a bit that could be a joke. That could be an Instagram thing. That could be a TV show or whatever. But yeah, you're letting the good ideas go through go to the wayside by not listening to yourself that's true i actually because i did i did a mic at qed last night and i to try and vary it up a little bit because i hate taking the four train yeah. down to the to the enter the w the four train's a fucking nightmare. yeah no i know that track it's I, horrible i took the ferry across oh nice the water to astoria and then i walked like 25 minutes to qed so i switched it up a little bit granted like waiting for the ferry for half an hour was a pain in the ass because it was late but again i'm not trying to focus on the negative but the, the three and a half minutes that I was up there, I did I enjoyed that part of it, and that felt like drive. The other stuff felt like the driven part, like the being on stage and and trying to let go of any expectation or think, like, I got to make this really worthwhile because it's the only thing I'm doing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, kind of being inspired by that looseness that I see on the first season of Louie where he's just – because what's so funny is, like, Sometimes I'll post a stand-up clip, and like it'll have laughs, but they won't be like uproarious big yeah, yeah, laughs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people will comment like, "Can't believe the audience wasn't laughing." It's like well, they were laughing, like they just yeah, yeah. You're not, you're, but you're saying they're laughing, but they're picturing like yeah, a full. But th I think they're just so used to like the really big name social media comedians who are always in packed rooms, mm -hmm. so they're used to this kind of like booming, like very full kind of laughter. It's yeah. like. No, this is like this is laughter for when there's ten people in the audience. Yeah. But anyway, I'm watching his stand up in the first season and like the laughter isn't like laugh track laughter. It's like a little pitter there, a little pitter there. Um 
ups and downs. It, it feels like you're in a real, like, comedy club on a Tuesday night. But, and that, but to me, that's the real comedy because mm-hmm. the fake, the bad comedy, the kind that like feels robotic and gets robotic laughs, is like I'm trying to be funny as often as possible, and I, I need to be funny here, and I need to be funny here, and like a real mm-hmm. professional knows. I'm 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 getting into something and I, I'm gonna get you. It's it's a confidence of like, um, we'll we'll go with the tennis metaphor again. I, I speak in tennis metaphors, but it's like if you're trying to win the point right off the bat and you're like, I didn't win that point. It's like no, if you just get into the rhythm of it and if you start slow and ease people into it, once you get into that rhythm, then you can really build and crescendo. And someone like Louis knows, I don't have to get huge laughs right off the bat if I'm setting a stage and I'm building up to something and then they're listening and they're paying attention. And now I'm going to catch them and really open them up. Yeah. And he's like, he's so smooth and, and comfortable in those clips. And it's like, it's, it's so natural and relaxed. And I feel like that's like a kind of, um, comedy on tape. I haven't seen Mm -hmm. in a while. Yeah. Cause again, most of the stuff we see, whether it's in specials or late night sets or on, social media clips it's very like crisp and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know it's it's like not i want to say regimented or stiff because that's not the right word but like this just kind of reminded me of like oh yeah like there's this avenue or this type of like this is okay too sometimes i guess is what i'm yeah trying to say. yeah i mean regimented is good i like regimented comedy but watch an hour of regimented comedy it can be a little exhausting you mm-hmm. know what i mean tell us about your tennis i think you were telling me about your tennis show like mm-hmm. at, the, at the Lantern, like a, a few months back. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on it for a while. Like, so I started writing TV pilots during the pandemic because the hell is you gonna t- do? Yeah. yeah, I was just I was my manager pushed me to do it, and I was like, yeah, I need to write. Now's the time. So, um, I love tennis. I've played since I was a little kid, and I found myself as I was like teaching tennis lessons to people. I'm like sharing all the wisdom of the world that I have on the court, but then I would go off stage or off court and start thinking about my stand-up life and I would be going crazy you know like on the court I'm like you got to relax you got to be patient let the point come to you don't worry about that you missed a shot but then in in stand-up it's like oh I bombed last night and I don't have anything like the exact mm-hmm. opposite of what I'm teaching and then like tense with the racket t- on stage. yeah t- it tense with the racket on stage tight tight Jeremy comedy trying to be perfect like mm-hmm. doesn't get you anywhere and so as soon as I realized like the that like even even when I'm like teaching my clients, it's like therapy for them. Like I'm like, you need to follow through, and they're like, I've never followed through on anything in my entire <laughs> life. And I'm like, oh, my dad was right. I am a failure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh god, no, that's not what I meant. But but tennis opens that up, and so teaching tennis is like once I started quit the bar job, and once I started teaching tennis, I had like a foundation, something I'm good at, something that makes me feel good. So like if comedy isn't where it's where it needs to be, I still have this thing. I'm still helping people. I'm still helping myself and I'm feeling good doing it. And so now I'm playing in competitive leagues and I've like just something about tennis and comedy has like meshed with me. And so the show, I don't, I, well, I'm ca- it's called love 30 and it, it's the whole metaphor of being down love 30 in your life. Like I was a 30 year old guy who was, do- Oh, there we like, go. It's like, I'm doing drugs. I'm stuck. I I'm like, I'm like, I did a podcast with a 92-year-old woman, and she was like, so you're just doodling around? <laughs> and, uh, she has a sense of urgency. Yeah, yeah. You have all this life. Well, she, well, just like I was like, yeah, I'm single. I don't care. And she's like, so what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doodling around. Like I, This whole time, I thought my whole life has been purpose and direction. But I'm single, and I'm, doing, I'm smoking weed all the time, and I'm having fun, and I'm like going for the next hit. I'm going for the next show, the next – but I'm not actually like – 
going anywhere. There's no plan. There's no concrete. There's no plan. Direction. And so like that, like literally slapped me, like was a wake up call for me doing that podcast and having this 90 year old woman on a podcast call you out <laughs> and, and God rest her soul. Dev died recently. And I love Dev. And that's another reason Bubby's comedy show was kind of like kind of the spirit of Dev. Like Dev was just started comedy in her 80s. She was on Broad City. She was in a Super Bowl commercial. Like she hit it at 80, 88. So we have time. All right. Good. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm way ahead of schedule. You <laughs> yeah. kidding me? Come on. And so uh, the long story short. So it's like a story of someone who's kind of like their own worst enemy getting in their own way. He was professional, but he didn't quite make it. He didn't really achieve his dreams. And now he's stuck teaching at this crappy club in the Upper East Side. And he has to learn how to like be okay with that and find a new path forward uh, within this new set of expectations. Do you feel like it's it's done or are you still like working? No, no, no. So I have, I have a little process though. I have like a writing mentor and like a group that I work with. So I've just finished the first draft of that. I finished a first draft earlier. It was not what I wanted. So I re-outlined, I reworked with people and really made it like make sense. Uh, I'm taking this draft and I'm working it with like a professional writer who's going to like, basically it's like two or three sessions where we go over it. I make changes. We go back, we go over those changes. I'm going to do that like two or three times. And then once it gets to a place that I'm really happy with, uh, I'm going to try to shoot like a 10 minute short awesome. of it. So, you know, with the writer strike and everything, it's a weird time, but my mindset is like, just, I believe in the show so much. I believe in tennis. I think, I think the principles of it, it's not just a tennis show. It's a show about life and lessons we could all learn. So I want to make this show and I'm just going to do, hopefully by the end of the summer, I'll have, uh, at least begin shooting, uh, for that. This is kind of dark, but, uh, <laughs> one of my, my favorite writer, David Foster Wallace was yeah. a competitive junior tennis yeah, player. Yeah. I've read string theory. Yeah. And he, his whole thing, why he stopped playing. Cause he was when he was younger, cause he was so smart. He was very good at like calculating angles yeah. and like figuring out where to put the ball where they couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, uh, he went through puberty late, but like didn't develop at the same rate as everyone else. And then just eventually got overpowered on the court. Yeah. But, it would it would he would get so uh in his own head about stuff he couldn't use his smarts to like outmaneuver the power yeah and there was a tennis coach that told him he was like kid you got a bad head and that was why he quit tennis and eventually killed himself yeah but yeah the like, head was worse the head was real bad but yeah like so that's i mean i've i've dealt with, i've <laughs> i was about to say i've dealt with something similar no i have <laughs> yeah. i've um, are you okay is this yeah, an no, intervention podcast oh my God. <laughs> um i have experienced something similar in the past month with golf mm -hmm. where i love golf by the way okay Great see sport. i've never i've never really golfed i don't have the patience for it like like the stock line i always kind of use was like i've broken too many playstation controllers in my life to <laughs> trust myself with a 300 hundred dollar driver or whatever yeah. the hell yeah, it is. yeah 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 um and like <laughs> i remember like taking golf lessons as, as as a kid and doing very poorly and like getting very frustrated like again like with comedy where it's not going the way i wanted to i'm all worked up i'm yeah. upset i gotta figure this I out mean, golf and tennis and comedy stand up at least it's you it's alone it's dealing with your head it's, mm -hmm. there's similarities you against you it's you against you but I, we were um actually in nashville recently for a friend's birthday and we went to top golf yeah. and i hadn't touched a golf club in years and i was like you know what let me just i'll take the club i'm not gonna worry about hitting it 300 yards all i want to give a shit about is can i have the loosest smoothest swing possible yes and that felt so much better than any golfing i did as a kid where i was trying to mash it the entire yeah. time and like yeah like some i just completely sliced or you know 
stuffed and like didn't hit. But every now and then I would just make real nice, crisp contact. And it felt great the whole way through from the start of the swing all the way to the follow through. There's never the doubt. When you're really in control, there's never doubt. Like when you're really in control of stand up, you know, ahead of the show, you know, when you get up there, you're never, you never, you never panic. You never tense up and freeze up. Like, mm-hmm. and, oh, they didn't laugh at that joke. Ooh, like, yeah. Even uh, if something goes wrong, you're able to say like, Hey, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Because you're trusting the process. You're trusting yourself. At the end of the day, it's, we have two voices in our head. One is trying to tell us what to do. One is trying to sabotage. And the other one's like, dude, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Just let me do it. And our whole, I feel like life's battle is all about shutting out that negative voice as much as possible. And it's a daily fight. Never ends. It never ends. Uh, <laughs> it's depressing and inspirational at the same time. Yeah, but uh, I mean, that's like the watching truth. season one of Louie. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. But, you know, I, I try to be optimistic about like, yeah, you can win that battle if you if you really listen to yourself. So that's, you know. Getting a little preachy no, and weird. I, no, we I, I need preachy and weird in my <laughs> yeah. life right now. Uh, one question I wanted to ask and circle yeah. back to before we wrap up here. What do the neighbors think about your comedy show? Upstairs neighbors fucking love it. Awesome. They are like, they have a one-year-old kid and they just leave him up there by himself. <laughs> that, oh, so they come down? Yeah, they come down. It's a married couple and they're, uh, they're great. Uh, Juan and Jen love him. Juan like comes, he's like, we gotta, we can, uh, next time we can put like a different light right here. Like he believes in this idea and he loves it. And he's like, you're building bridges to, and I'm like, sure. Yeah, that's, and so they love it. And then the downstairs neighbors are moving, but like the way this apartment is set up is like the two upstairs apartments are like small mm-hmm. and the downstairs apartment is like this massive three story. Oh, they, like, yeah, they can so they, they've got places it. to go. Like, uh, but we'll, we'll find out how the new neighbors feel about it. If they, if they don't like it, they can go. Fuck I feel themselves. like the brokers. It's like an obligation for them to be like. By the way, there is a monthly comedy. Yeah, we show haven't. We upstairs. don't tell anyone about the comedy show. We told Jin and Juan because we trusted them, but we just we like, hey, we're having some people over. We might do some comedy. You know, yeah. it's just a party, just one of those comedy parties that you have. Leave your child, abandon him, come to our show. Yeah, yeah. Good thing the landlords here are like eighty year olds, so they're not checking on social media to see that we're promoting the show, but. Uh, this is all done under wraps and uh, oh shit! All right, so maybe uh, no, no, no. It's not, don't worry. They scrap the not, whole episode. Fran and Ed ain't listening to this podcast. That's I, I don't true. think they're your target demographic. Yeah, so uh, not. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, where can people find you? Give us all your handles. Where can people find oh, yeah. the show? Um, website www.jeremypinsley.com. No e in Pinsley, so it's just P-I-N-S-L-Y at Jeremy Pinsley for Instagram, TikTok, and all those things. I don't use TikTok that much, but Instagram, uh, Twitter for sure. Um, and yeah, I'm at the, you know, go to my website. I put my dates up there. Uh, check my social. We post, uh, about the Bubby show that we do here in Cobble Hill. So DM me about that if you want to go and then, uh, album recording, uh, in December at the end of the year. So check it out. Awesome. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get comfortable with this. Smash that like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching to the podcast, if you're listening, tell your friends, rate, review, five stars smash that like baby and uh don't lose the battle to the evil voice in your head no be positive even if you're lying to yourself just be try try your best yeah damn bro you really do have to fake it till you make it yeah i just it's just like hey listen if you don't get there you don't get there but try your best that's all you can do lying to yourself is sometimes better than letting the positive the negative voice come through yeah that's my main takeaway lie 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 good night everybody